Hello, and welcome to the Pewaukee Historical Tour. We hope you learned plenty of interesting facts about the history of Pewaukee. Some important facts to know is that Pewaukee was established in 1840 and approved by the Wisconsin Territorial Legislature. This was eight years before Wisconsin gained statehood. In addition, Native Americans were obviously the first settlers in the area. However, Deacon Asa Clark was the first white settler. You will learn more about him and his family later during the podcast. Before we tell you too much, please start by parking your car in the parking lot on Capitol and High Street. This is close to the railroad tracks in downtown Pewaukee. Feel free to pause the podcast at any time that is needed. Have fun! Go up the hill on High Street to the Octagon House. It will be the seventh house on the right, and it's across the street from Evergreen Street. Its house number is number 370. Okay. My name is Michael Norman. I'm a writer uh, and author of a number of books of uh, ghost stories, including Haunted Wisconsin and Haunted Heartland and Haunted America and Historic Haunted America and uh, a couple of others. And one of the stories that we wrote about in Haunted Wisconsin, uh, even when it first came out, the first edition of the book came out in 1980, and way back then, one of the stories was about uh, the Octagon House in Pewaukee. And the story is called Footsteps in the Dark. And in the two editions after the one from 1980, it's been in, the, in every edition. So I'm happy to talk about it. Uh, it's a, a very a famous house, as, as you know. In fact, there are Octagon Houses all over the United States. There's even one uh, not far from where I live, actually, in Hudson, Wisconsin. Uh, if you Google Octagon House in Hudson, uh, Wisconsin, you will see pictures of it. It's not haunted, as far as I know. Um, the reason that we wrote about the Octagon House in Milwaukee is because there was something of a ghost legend connected with it. Uh, back in the 19th century and early 20th century, so I'll talk a little bit about that. <laughs> the... Um, uh, actually, there's been a house of one kind or another on that piece of property on High Street for a very long time. Uh, it was originally a log house was there, uh, but that burned down uh, in the early uh, 19th century. Uh, then a blacksmith bought the property and had a house uh, put up there in the 1850s. So that goes all the way back to before the Civil War. Um, but then several years later, uh, Deacon West lost his home too in a in another fire lots of fires uh of course they burned candles and later uh, oil lanterns and, and so forth and so there were there's always a danger that things were going to burn down um the next owner was a man named Rowe, uh, ira Rowe, uh and sold the house to a man from uh, a colonel Eagleheart from kentucky and what i thought was kind of interesting about that uh, this was right after the Civil War. Uh, you could call Colonel Egelhart uh, a, a summer vacationer because in the winter he lived in Kentucky, but in the summer he spent summers in Wisconsin, uh, just like people do now. Not only that, but he found a, uh, a small spring on his uh, property there and established a small home business of bottling water and selling it just uh, so... Uh, uh, he sold water to, for people to drink just like they do uh, today. Uh, it went through a number of, of, uh, of owners until uh, a Milwaukee.
Milwaukee attorney by the name of uh, Audrey Heil bought it. And that seems to be the time that the first reports of footsteps were first heard in the house. And that's the kind of haunting that it was in the, in the early uh, years. Uh, it sounded like someone or something was wandering through the, the rooms of the, of the house uh, that they had there. Uh, um, the, um, the actual octagon house Except it was your actual voice. 
well, over the years, uh, once telephones came along and and uh, you know the intercom system, those were uh, plastered over or covered over, I should say. Um, but the tubes were still there, and they would sometimes carry uh, voices. Uh, even um, in the in the twentieth century, they would carry the voices of people uh, talking in a. Uh, in one part of the of the house, and you might hear it in a different part because the voice was coming through the through the speaking tubes. Uh, these were embedded in the walls, so maybe that's what it was. Maybe people were hearing voices coming from other parts of of the house, but that wouldn't explain why it was done in the middle of the night, or um, why it was always so prompt. Uh, and that's what was kind of odd about this haunting that the footsteps always came at a particular time. There was never any indication anyone died there or there, there were those two fires at least um, but no idea as to who it might be or why they would be wandering around so um, but again you know there haven't been any reports of ghosts there but it's a very well-known house and uh, uh, I hope this uh, kind of to get to St. Mary's Cemetery, take a left onto Evergreen Street and proceed to the end until you see St. Mary's Cemetery. You will now be able to cut through the cemetery. Hi, my name is Bob Rohde, R-O-H-D-E. I've lived in uh, Pewaukee, in the village of Pewaukee, since uh, 1961. I'm the son of Elvin Rohde, who lived in Pewaukee, lives in Pewaukee, and has lived there since 1927. Was born on East Wisconsin Avenue in a house there. and. Uh, uh, we lived out here uh, just about our whole life. I'm um, going to be talking about St. Mary's Parish in Pewaukee, which is one of the uh, oldest churches. Uh, not necessarily the oldest, but one of the old, uh, um, uh, oldest active churches uh, that, that you would have. Uh, the land that St. Mary's Church, which overlooks uh, Pewaukee Lake, uh, was purchased back in around 1858. Uh, and there's documents that, that have that, that show the uh, transfer from uh, former owner to, uh, to the archdiocese. Uh, there really wasn't a church built on the land uh, until around 1868. And there's some question about uh, whether it was a wood building or if it was a, a, a block structure uh, that was built. The interesting part about it, at a certain point, in the, around the 1879, I think it was, they, uh, they decided, or 1887, they decided that building was too small, they needed to expand. So they ripped uh, most of that old church down, keeping up the eastern wall. So if you went past the church today on the east side, you can still see a cornerstone that was put into the original old church in that original wall in 1868 and you can see it right in the middle of the wall on the east, east uh, side of the church. Um, so that's when that present church was built that you see on the hill. Uh, there were some additions that were built onto that, like the side chapel, uh, a full basement uh, that was put on. The side chapel was put on in 18, uh, excuse me, 1937. Um, a lot of the, uh, the people that were involved in building that original church are actually buried up in the cemetery right now. Um, uh, in the St. Mary Cemetery. That's uh, Cald Caldwell's, uh, the Brants. Uh, it's, you can pretty much see all the original members. A lot of them are buried out there. Now, when they were building the church, they were actually traveling to either Manchez or to, uh, to Brookfield to attend uh, a Catholic Mass at one of those churches. Uh, so it wasn't until they actually had a structure that they, they moved into there. 
Uh, a school was added in 1958. Um, there has actually been two rectories that have been built on the land, which is essentially the house that the, the priest lived in. Okay, uh, The first one was built in the 1870s. Uh, that was torn down, and then another one, a much larger one, uh, that uh, a lot of people will remember uh, was built uh, in the 1930s, and it was actually a very nice, uh, a beautiful uh, multi-porches completely around the building that overlooked the lake, and it was really exceptional. Um, one of the probably most important uh, individuals that, that was priest and, and leader of the parish was, back in 1879, a, a priest by the name of uh, Father N.D. Uh, Becker uh, came to the parish and was there till about 1903 and uh, was a, a large part of the growth of the parish as far as the number of people who attended it uh, and also had a, an immediate, immediate effect on, on the village of Pewaukee also. Uh, one interesting story that I read about in, in a newspaper was that Father Becker convinced the Milwaukee Road uh, to uh, change the location of the train station. Um, which is no longer there, but there was a train station right where the, the village parking lot is, uh, across from uh, the dentist office. That used to be a train station right there. Originally, they were going to be building it farther east, near Oakton Avenue, and Father Becker convinced them to move it closer up to uh, the lake so that passengers coming out from, from Chicago or coming from Milwaukee would be able to walk to church if they wanted to, instead of having to walk all the way from Oakton Avenue. Uh, so uh, apparently he had a lot of influence and he was able to influence people to do that. Uh, my memory of, of St. Mary's Church, and again, I came to the church in 1961 when I was four years old. Uh, we originally lived for, for a few years in Milwaukee uh, after my parents were married. Um, and I did actually attend uh, St. Mary's School, which, as, as I mentioned before, was built in 1958. Um, my memories, uh, probably key memories of, of growing out and, and attending uh, St. Mary's Church, one big one, November 22nd, 1963. I can remember being in music class when uh, the, the uh, Sister Zeno, who was the, the principal of the school, came into our music class. I was in first grade and told us that the president had been shot, and that was President Kennedy. And then we went over to the church and, and we all prayed uh, for the president. Another memory that I have is uh, it was uh, a Christmas Eve midnight mass. We used to have midnight mass at, at midnight, uh, obviously. Um, and I can remember as a little kid, uh, it was snowing out and it was probably about two, three inches of snow. It was absolutely beautiful. Uh, and they had set up a, a, um, uh, a nativity scene out front uh, with, with uh, the baby Jesus and things like that were in there. And then you go in, and at that time, they actually put live trees in, in the decorations of the church, uh, which obviously would, uh, could be very dangerous with fire. But they, at that time, that's what they did. So the place was, uh, was, uh, was decorated. It was just beautiful. Uh, and uh, lots of candles, uh, lots of people. Uh, they, it would just uh, be an unbelievably busy, uh, busy mass. And uh, that beautiful uh, midnight mass, I remember that, just because of the, uh, uh, just the circumstances, the environment, everything was absolutely, uh, you know, like a postcard. It was beautiful. Um, the, uh, the school was open from about uh, uh, 1958 till two, 2016, uh, when it was closed uh, last year. Uh, and as I mentioned, I went to school there. My kids went to school there. Uh, 
uh, and uh, had an effect on, on, on a lot of people's lives, probably thousands of kids uh, that went through it in time. I can remember class sizes. Um, in that building, we had uh, almost 300 kids at one time when I started out. There were class sizes that were well into the 30s um, and uh, was, was, was a very busy school. Uh, so it went really well. Um, when we look at, you know, it's interesting to look at the construction of the, of the, of the church itself. Um, if you look at it, it's all built with limestone, which was all locally mined. Um, one of the first, uh, uh, in one, yeah, I mentioned the Caldwell family, which was one of the first Catholic families in Pewaukee. Um, they owned some land that was close to uh, Caldwell Street, if you can believe it. Um, also on highway, where Highway 16 crossed over. And there used to be an outcrop of, of, uh, of limestone uh, that used to be right where Highway 16 uh, goes from going east to directly south, the big curve around Pewaukee. There used to be a large out, outcrop of, of limestone uh, in that area. There also was in Village Park, and this is what my dad told me, uh, the pond area actually was actually mined of limestone also, which originally created that pond area too. So I don't know which one of those areas the limestone came from. You can guess, obviously, if they were bringing it up by, uh, by horse and carriage, uh, they were doing it as close as possible. Caldwell was one of the, the, uh, the originating uh, uh, parish members, uh, and uh, it, it came from one of those areas over there where the limestone was. Um, the, uh, the, uh, it's really interesting, as kids, we would uh, sneak up into the steeple, uh, which could be, it was kind of scary because the, I think the uh, ladder up there was probably from 1870-something. <laughs> we would climb up there and the bell, which was, uh, I don't know if it was poured or minted or how they referred to it, uh, had the date on there. It was, it was minted in, in, in Philadelphia, in, in an ironworks in Philadelphia. And, and when you think about the, the time, uh, you know, it had just been a few years from the Civil War and uh, uh, there, there are actually Civil War veterans that are buried in, 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 in the cemetery over there. You know, it was difficult for people to, uh, uh, to uh, do those things. And it was really a community effort to build the church, uh, to find the materials and build the church. Uh, so it must have been, uh, you know, pretty, pretty interesting to see how that all happened. But uh, obviously the location, uh, highly visible above the village, uh, and you can see it from miles around, whether you're coming from the uh, north or south or wherever it is. Uh, and there's a lot of really cool pictures um, and postcards uh, where you can see that steeple, uh, you know, back from, uh, I think the earliest picture we have is, uh, or earliest photo was probably around 1889 to 18, right, right around that area. That's the earliest picture we have. Uh, and then there's postcards around when, when Pewaukee was really a resort, resort area uh, where you had a lot of people coming out from Milwaukee, people coming up from Chicago uh, that would live on the lake. Uh, and it was considered a resort area. Uh, and they would send postcards with, with downtown Pewaukee and you would always see the steeple of St. Mary's uh, in the background overlooking the lake. Uh, so it made it very interesting. Uh, currently, uh, the, the last Catholic mass um, I, I guess as far as an uh, official mass took place last year, it was the last school mass. Now there has been some masses that have taken place for, there was like an anniversary mass for one of the uh, uh, long, uh, long time families who was ha having a 50th anniversary. Um, but the last Catholic mass in there was, was in, in 2016. Uh, there currently is another Christian um, um, group that's in there. It isn't a Catholic group, but it's uh, 
Uh, they're using the building right now. They're, they're renting it from Queen of Apostles. Queen of Apostles is a, uh, a merger of St. Mary's Church and St. Peter and Paul Church into Plainville. They merged into one and became Queen of Apostles Church, and they built the church out on Capitol Drive. Now, interesting is St. Peter and Paul, actually that church, which still exists, was built in 1858. Uh, it's not being used. Uh, it's right off of the Plainville Road, uh, just down the road from uh, the uh, um, Quad Graphics, uh, not too far down there. But that was uh, it, it built in 1858, and, and Queen of Apostles, which actually owns that uh, the old St. Mary's Church right now, is that merge entity between Queen of uh, between St. Mary's and, and uh, St. Peter and Paul. To get to the three sister houses, please proceed to Wisconsin Avenue and take a left or go east and walk on the sidewalk until you reach Evergreen Lane. The houses will be across the street and appear as three identical white houses. I grew up in Milwaukee, and um, after I got out of high school, I took a job in an insurance agency uh, in what was then called the 110 East Wisconsin building. I don't know what it's called now, <laughs> and I think they have rebuilt it. But my husband had a photocopying business, and you're too young to know what that is, but basically Xerox took over. It, okay. it, it was that type of thing. He had an, an office on the 10th floor, which is where I was, so that's how we met. But he moved into this house when he was three years old, so this is the family homestead in, in uh, Pewaukee. And uh, when we got married, he was the baby of the family, so his parents didn't want, him, want this big house. So they built an apartment for us upstairs. And then when they passed away in 1958, we took over the whole house. We thought we were going to move someplace else, but we decided we liked it where, where we were. So I started as a bride in this house in 1949, and I've been here ever since. Wow. And because my husband grew up in Pewaukee, he told me so many stories that I just, I would never think of moving away. And actually, my youngest daughter is planning on buying this house when I die because she loves this house. So. Wow, that's very interesting. Two of the three houses over the years, and people have remodeled them too. They have uh, the second house, the middle house, had a kitchen built on. The first house... I understand the man that owned that house took down a wall that was like a load-bearing wall, and he had to put in a steel I-beam that he owned the land and, and thought he could make some money by building the houses because they were... I came here in 1949, and by that time they were all individually owned. Different people own them. In fact, the family that's in the center house 
has been there since the 1930s or 40s. Oh, wow. And uh, the parents died, and now the one of the sons owns the house. Okay. To get to the train depot, please continue walking east down the sidewalk until you see the train tracks and the brown building, which is the train depot. Please listen to the audio at this time. Trains didn't come to Pewaukee, and the first train in Pewaukee came in 1854. It only went as far as Oconomowoc. But in 1856, the Milwaukee Road purchased the land along the lake shore. And um, actually, that was the start of Pewaukee's first major industry, was what they called at that time ice harvesting. And they would bring bums from Milwaukee out on the railroad. They would work on the lake cutting ice. The um, I have my my books here, which I'm going to let you take home. Okay. And it, it explains how they started actually cutting weeds already in September so that they would have pure ice without weeds in it. And it became an industry because the meat packers and the brewers in Milwaukee got wise to the fact that they could store their product. So they built ice houses in the area that's now Kopmeyer Drive. And people say, well, what, what is an ice house? Actually, an ice house is a house that was built within a house. It had different floors, and they would stack the ice and put sawdust in between so it wouldn't stick together. And then when the breweries and the meat packers needed ice, they would come out and take the ice from the ice houses, load it in boxcars, and take it into Milwaukee. Some of it, I understand, went as far as St. Louis and Chicago. But that, that was... Um, in 1895, people came out on the train and they would catch a boat at the lake and go all the way down to the other end of the lake to Waukesha Beach. Mm-hmm. And, and that was a big then. amusement park. To get to the beach, continue walking east down the sidewalk along the beach until you reach the corner of Main Street and Park Avenue. Hi, I'm Charlie Shawn, and I'm an old retired guy that knows some of the history of Pewaukee Lake. Uh, we're standing on the beach right now, and if you were here in 1836, there would be no beach here. In fact, there would be no lake. Uh, when Increased Lapham arrived in 1836 to survey the Pewaukee area, the lake was Snail Lake, about two miles west of what is now the village of Pewaukee. And then there was a very large marsh with a small river running through it um, that went eventually to the Fox. The river was known as the Little Fox. And as I mentioned, it was Snail Lake. Uh, In 1838, Asa Clark went to the territorial government 
because it wasn't a state of Wisconsin yet, and got permission to construct a dam on the Little Fox River so that he could create a sawmill. There was a great need for sawmills in the area as people moved in. And in fact, the road that goes past our present beach was known as Watertown Plank Road. It was made of oak planks, probably many of them sawed by Asa Clark in the mill. So he built the mill and over the years, the end of the lake, which was marsh yet, was gradually built up. Uh, if you go back into the, some of the old newspaper articles in the 1880s, you'll see that farmers are bringing in stones uh, to help raise the dam. So as the dam raised up, the mill worked better. We also started filling in this end of the lake. Eventually, uh, the dam was raised five feet. So the lake depth all around increased by five feet and Snail Lake was now 2,500 acres instead of 1,500. The uh, process of doing that um, created what was to become the finest fishing lake in southeastern Wisconsin. With the introduction of the railroad in 1856, um, people started coming out, tourists came out, um, as well as people that just seemed to come and stay in the summer. There's many um, newspaper articles about people camping on Rocky Point for all the summer. And they were also camping along the lakefront uh, in what is now the beach area in Pewaukee. The, uh, they were going to a number of resorts around the lake and the fishing was outstanding. There's many, many newspaper articles about the great fishing in Pewaukee Lake. They had a train that came all the way from Chicago, which was called the Fisherman's Special, that stopped at Pewaukee. Um, the first depot was down at the bottom of High Street, which was a small depot. And at that time, they also had a depot uh, west, right at the edge of the town of Delafield by um, what is now Highway KE. Um, that was a depot because there were a number of resorts on the lake on the North Shore. So they served them with that. The, uh, the depot was moved at some point in time to the area that is now just to the east of Oakton Avenue. And then again, as things grew and the need for a bigger depot and more uh, area, they moved to what is now the village parking lot across the railroad tracks from the beach. The bathrooms that are there and the, the uh, storage area and the, the uh, building that we have on the front is a somewhat of a copy of that original depot design. So it looks somewhat like the depot. Um, the river, at some point in time, the village became known as Pewaukee, which according to legend is an uh, Indian name for Snail Lake, and I won't try to pronounce that. <laughs> the, uh, um, the river then took on the name as well of the, of the village of Pewaukee. It became the Pewaukee River. It was no longer known as the Little Fox. Um, 
in the early 1900s, the village started looking at, there was no recorded ownership of this, essentially the west end or the east end of the lake is a dam and nobody had particularly ownership of that. So the village negotiated with a variety of people and ended up with owning the, the parcel from um, the south side all the way up to what was where the dam was at that time. So they owned that. So technically the beach area now, they did negotiate to get ownership in the 1900s. Um, there's some articles about the electric company doing improvements along the lakefront because apparently they wanted people to buy electricity so they were putting in lights and benches um, in the that was about 1901 I believe newspaper article the uh, um, property to the other side of the dam had a resort slash tavern on it for years and years and years and in the early 70s the village bought that property uh, to create more park area where the existing uh, bathhouse is. So that's pretty much the history of the lake and the river uh, extends all the way to the Fox River, the Pequot River. Um, we have our annual river run, we're real proud of. So um, our group, the Pequot River Partnership, is working hard to improve it. To get to the Connells Farm, please take a right on Park Avenue and walk on the sidewalks until you reach Maple Avenue. Now, please take a left on Maple Avenue and go up the hill. Please take a right on Prospect Avenue and stay to the right on the grass until you reach Connells Farm. The address is West 262 North 3051. Go into the driveway and take in the beautiful scenery. My name is Jim Connell. I'm 91 years old. We're still on our home farm that we like. This is my wife, Barbara. She's 92. She's older than me. <laughs> but we like it here, and we're not doing too good anymore. But we're, we're planning on staying here as long as we can. Well... You gotta understand that these are old family farms. They're small. At one time there was six herds of cows, I think, between here and Highway 30. That's what you gotta keep in mind. And these small herds of cows, what am I trying to say? Why don't you tell them the small herds of cows are gone? Oh, the small herds are now gone, completely gone. They've all turned into big herds, and they either got together with with other herds, and in order to to survive, mm -hmm. you gotta have a thousand cows. And that's what's happening today. 
So how old is the farm? Well, my dad bought this this small family farm, which at that time people talked about. They didn't want these. So, well, the farm was bought in 1913, and it's called Prospect Home. That's what it's called. And over the years, I guess I just told you there were seven, six or seven going farms between here and Highway 30. Steel farm, uh, you know, um, Leander Brand farm. I, I should know them all, but I can't come up with them. How many acres um, well, are on Well, originally farm? this was about 50 acres, which is really small. But as the years went by and I took over in 1950, in order for us to survive, we had to rent land. And we rented land like halfway to Waukesha. Or up, up here we rented land. And and that's the way we survived. And I was the last farm to sell out or to sell our cattle in nineteen eighty two. And now in order to find real real farms that are milking a thousand cows by they milk all day and all night. Uh, was this a dairy farm? This was a dairy farm, yeah. All these farms, these little farms between here and that I just talked about were dairy farms. And they had places to ship their milk. Um, were you born on this farm? I wasn't born on the farm, but I lived here when I was born. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so tell us a little bit about these lake cottages that you have. Well, we're probably the only place on Pewaukee Lake now that has cottages to rent. What's happened, like every place else, if you had a cottage on the lake, you tore it down and built a mansion. <laughs> and that happens all over. It's happening up north. It's happening up there now. This happened here. When did this start happening? It's just on, and I don't know how we're keeping them, but we're trying to keep them. And we got now, my daughter has this place now, and her son-in-law, and it's going to be up to them to try to keep what little we got left. How long have those lake cottages been here? What? How long have the lake cottages been here? Oh, since the 30s. They're old. They're really old. So they were here when um, Pewaukee was more of a resort community? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What like, was it like then? Well, uh, 
Peterson Drive, you know, where that is up here. Mm -hmm. All the houses down there. Uh, one winter, they got snowed in and a bunch of guys shoveled all so they could get out. And, and there weren't many people living down there. And all those little cottages turned into, but they were on small lots, which wasn't the greatest thing. And we had this nice chunk of land between Park Avenue down here and Peterson up here. And we like it here, we try to stay. And my daughter and son-in-law are going to do that. So when when you had the when those lake cottages were built there were lots of lake cottages oh right, yeah all over the yeah. yeah the whole thing but it, all the peterson drive was nothing but 50 foot lots maybe a hundred now and then and all you gotta do is drive along the lake to look at them what they are now park avenue was lots of yeah cottages. Park, the same thing happened to park avenue all the and they were fairly nice houses. They're all tore down and built. And we're, well, I'm sure, I don't know anybody at Pewaukee Lake that had summer cottages to rent. Mm -hmm. And Tommy Bartlett, <clears throat> this place became available for sale uh, through Dr. Bartlett, is that it? Dr. Bartlett, and from what I understand, he was a eye doctor in Milwaukee, and he built this place. I don't know what year he built it. I don't know what year he built it. 1815. No, no, 1885. Yeah, 1885. And Dr. Bartlett, that's all everybody called him. Now, we're trying to get to, who are we trying to get to here? Tommy Bartlett. Huh? Tommy. Oh, yeah. Tommy Bartlett is, Dr. Bartlett is a grandfather of Tommy Bartlett. And I never met Tom Bar Tommy Bartlett. I, I wish I would have. And I could have, when he was up at the Dells, and I, and that's where everybody connects him here. And he did have a connection here. And, but this Dr. Bartlett was the guy that this piece of land on this side of the road was for sale and he bought it. And that was, I don't know what year that was. Oh, yeah, we know what year my dad bought this, 19. Thirteen. Thirteen. And, oh, and then more about Dr. Bartlett. He had four sons. And as the years went by, and, and I don't know why, this was just a summer place. And he wanted to sell it. And, and he had four boys, and none of them wanted it. And I can remember when I was a kid that every once in a while 
somebody to knock on the door and tell us we're Dr. Bartlett's sons. And we'd like to walk around here because we built, we put those trees in out there right? around the teardrop. There's half of them are still there. And they come in and look around and, and they, they didn't want it. So in 1913, that's when my dad bought this place. So that's a couple of years ago. <laughs> um, is there any way that Asa Clark is connected to this farm? Uh, Asa Clark connected to this oh, farm? Asa Clark log cabin was from that window you're looking out to the lilac tree. And that was the first cabin in Pewaukee. This is what everybody tells me. And you probably heard the same thing. It hasn't happened lately, but sometimes when it's really a drought and things really dry up, you can see the grass like this where that cabin was. That was right out there. First house in Pewaukee, so they say. Reunited. We take that for the truth, and I think it is. Is there anything really unique that you would like to tell us about this farm? That I like to say, I. Uh, how do you think the farmers back in those days tilled their soil? How do, how do you think they did that? Um, manually, or well. They did it with horses. And a big thing is what happened in this agricultural revolution that Barbara and Kathy and I have lived through has been the biggest revolution. I think it's the biggest revolution in the, in the country of what agriculture has done a hundred years ago using horses. We had a team. Steels had a team. They might have had two teams. And you hooked them up and you drove them. Now, a big thing happened. The tractor came along. But it had cleats on it. Couldn't drive it on the road. And then the big thing that happened is they made tractors with rubber tires. Wow, this was really something. <laughs> Everything changed. <clears throat> you know what the tongue on a wagon looks like? That a horse used to drive? The big tongue go up the middle. Everybody cut their tongues off and hooked a tractor with a rubber tires on the front or on that little short stump. That was a big thing. And if you think of how these guys survived with horses, think of that. Compared to a thousand cows now, if you're going to make 
any money in the dairy business, you better have a thousand cows or you're going to forget milk, milk year round. And I don't know, there might be one of them big farms north of Merton. I'm not sure about that. So was this ever a working farm? Besides yeah. Dairy? No, yeah. Is, is no, this no, one right now? Is it? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just a fun farm now. Not much. Uh, yeah, it was a working farm. And now do you now do you raise any crops or or do you Well we rent out a little land here to to the horse people over at uh, Louis Louis Larsite. Yeah, what's the name of that? Uh, dairy Oh, okay. A horse farm over here on the other side of the lake. They'll they have take what little hay we got. So it's really not a working farm anymore. But we kind of like it. You have sheep yet, don't you? Yeah. Well, we have that just for fun. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but what I want to drive home to you girls is horses. Within probably 10 or 15 years, horses were gone. Just gone. I don't know where they went to. We had horses on this little farm, and this farm on this side of the road was about 60 acres. And then when I got bigger and bigger, I burnt land all over the place. And then I ended up where about, I think when I sold out, I had 50 cows. Water. Um, my brother Jim and I grew up here on the farm. That's what's caving in. Can you can you start in, about the barn getting moved and also talking about you riding the horse? Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know the story of the, of the barn. Yeah. The, when the barn. Are we going? Are yep. We, yeah. We're all good. Yeah. Get it closer. When the when they moved the barn, only Kathy's uncle, great uncle, great uncle knew the story and he sat here one um at one fourth of july picnic and he told us about it and then it was down on the other side of the little creek that comes through probably 200 yards from where it is now and they hooked it up with horses and the horses would go around and around and art said that he if you you ever you'd look over and you just barely see it moving and they put poles underneath it for it yeah. to roll. Poles, yeah. poles for it to slide on to roll. And they moved it from all the way down there to where it is now. And then that's why it has a, a block, a cinder block basement, which is not period-wise to the barn. So then um, what was it, like 14 years ago, 15 years ago, when one of those black walls was starting to cave in and we decided that we debated if we were going to save it or yeah. not, we uh, we uh, had um, we had some people come in from Old World, Wisconsin, and look at the construction of it, and it's all post and beam and pegged and beautiful. And they said, "Oh yeah, this is way worth it." So we we dug that wall out and and replaced it. Um, and then um, at that same time or before that, when I was growing up as a kid, I could get on my horse, ride across the street, and go all the way to Highway 16, WCTC wasn't there. It was the Ken Steel Farm and the Allen Steel Farm. 
You could ride all the way that way, or I could go all the way to I-94 from one farm to the other. There was no subdivisions, there was no houses, and I usually didn't get into any trouble as long as I stayed on the farm roads. <laughs> <laughs> and so. can, you, can you talk again about the state of the cottages, too? The cottages were built about 1917 by my grandfather. Um, everybody was had cottages on the lake, and he rented them out seasonally. They're, to this day, they're, they're 100 years old now, and they're just uh, stud walls, and they're put up on stone piers, and a few stumps hold them together. We hold them together mostly with paint and shingles, and from the time that he had them, and still now, we rent them out by the season. We don't rent them out by the week. And um, many of our families have stayed there for, for 20 to 30, over 30 years in some cases. When I was a kid and grew up here, we had a whole gang of kids down there that we all grew up with. And that has changed, because people used to rent a cottage and come and stay. Now it's more weekend now stuff. Now it's more weekend stuff, which is really good for our Chicago. cottages. Because our cottages are, well, they're 100 years old, so we like to have people come in that that appreciate the place and appreciate the cottages and um, and so and use them more gently and so lots of people go well you know we should be renting those cottages every week you know because you could be making so much money well we wouldn't have any cottages left <laughs> so a, a, somebody who uses them gently and like dad says now People used to come in, Koshans lived in Pewaukee, ran the pharmacy in Pewaukee, and they would move out here to the lake, you know, from... Koshans from, had one. Mm -hmm. They moved here. She went home to watch on Monday. <laughs> and mowed the lawn. And yeah. mowed the lawn. And that doesn't happen anymore. People don't move out for the summer anymore. But, they, but they're out here on weekends. And so... But, but the, you know, the whole... The whole feeling is here in our, now that we're kind of encapsulated. We're we're like a little island, but we still we still have the same feel to the place that we that I grew up with and that Dad grew up with. Pretty. Once you are done with the Connells Farm, to get to Forest Hill Cemetery, please exit the driveway and turn left on Prospect Avenue and go down until you reach the Forest Hill Cemetery, or the corner of Prospect Avenue and School Street. Please walk up the hill on the sidewalk and enter the, the walkway of the cemetery. Listen to the audio of what to do next. Hi, I'm Carol Brinkman. I'm the current president of the Pewaukee Area Historical Society. And I'd like to welcome you to Forest Hill Cemetery here in the village of Pewaukee. The cemetery was founded probably about 18... 40 is about the earliest grave that we are aware of. Asa Clark came to Pewaukee in 1836 with his family from Vermont. And like with any place, death is, was a very common thing back in those days, and so they needed to have a place for a cemetery. We believe it was up here at the top of the hill. Usually the cemeteries were set away from the main part of the village because at this point this would be on the outskirts of the village and they like to be on top of the hill just for the view a lot of times just to be closer to 
closer to God. They were very, usually very religious at that point. Um, Asa Clark and his family are buried here. He and his wife Naomi, their son Timothy Lyman and his family. And I think there is another son that is buried there also. I can't think of his name. Um, I just like to come to the cemetery. I do genealogy, which is the study of family history. So I'd like to come up here, find the old families, get some basic information and get back on Ancestry.com, do history, find out more about the families, and then we're keeping a file at the Clark House Museum. Because a lot of times people contact us and say, my great uncle Joe was buried <laughs> up there and we'd like to know a little bit more, so. That's cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He's 87 years old. And his wife, Naomi, is also buried here. She passed away in 1874. They are surrounded by their children and descendants of their family. Rocky. He was in the Civil War and ended up going out to Kansas and fought in Kansas. He was, if you've ever heard of the Bird Society, the B.F. Goss Ornithological, <laughs> I don't think that's the correct pronunciation, but that's who it was named after. Oh. Side of the old section of the cemetery near the driveway of the house is the tombstone of Captain William Thomas. Captain Thomas was in the Civil War. He has his uh, military history is on his tombstone, which is very interesting. The tall gray monument on Prospect Avenue is the Goss Family Monument. B.F. Goss, Benjamin Franklin Goss, fought in the Civil War in Kansas. There is also a bird society. Okay, uh, this tall stone was B.F. Goss, Benjamin Franklin Goss. He was also uh, one of Pewaukee's early settlers. If you see a bronze star on a in front of a grave, that is the sign that it is a Civil War veteran. Uh, we have about 25 Civil War veterans here in Forest Hill Cemetery. A lot of times people like to come to the cemetery and do a rubbing. What a rubbing is, is you will take like a piece of parchment paper. A lot of times people use chalk. You would lay the piece of paper over the gravestone and then rub over the top with the chalk. As long as the chalk doesn't interfere with the stone because sometimes there's a chemical reaction. But that way sometimes you can bring out some of the writing that you can't read very clearly. What I have found works well, if you have a digital camera, a lot of times it picks up 
some of the, the shading of the, the stone if you can't read it. There, there's a group that's called Find a Grave and they've gone through and taken pictures of the graves and done a little basic family history. And as of November 2012, it says the cemetery was fully documented. And there were 2,133 internments at that point. To get to the Pewaukee School District, exit the cemetery and walk up the hill. All schools in the Pewaukee School District are located at the top of the hill. You may walk along the sidewalks in front of the schools and listen to the audio. The, um, the original school was a brick building and that was um, the elementary and the high school. Then they built the high school, they had to expand because of growing population. And when they built the high school, it was just a duplicate of the grade school. So um, saved money by using the same plan probably. And those buildings stayed that way until I would guess, okay, I was in sixth grade. When would that have been? Um, <laughs> I was in a different century. Yes, that was. Um, because I had been in school up on the hill in the elementary school and they had grades one through four and there were so many of us that the fourth grade classroom was what had been the kitchen. So there was no longer hot lunch. And then they added on so that there were, there was a fifth grade, but I was downhill in what had been the original grade school for sixth and seventh grade. Um, and some of my classes were in the basement of the Baptist church because that was the other area that they had expanded to. When was the fire? Uh, one fire was in 53, I so think. There's multiple fires? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and where did you go to school during after the fire? Um, in the churches, the Legion Hall. So, wherever they could find a space to put us. So, in the 80s, the schools down here, where the library is now, those schools sat empty because they had moved the high school, had built the new high school up on top of the hill, and they had moved high school up there. Um, I think junior high was also up there. They were the last to vacate this, the site. Uh, the, the last use of that building before it sat vacant for several years was as a, as a seventh and eighth grade school. Okay, and I'm trying to think where our kids went to school. Eric went to eighth grade there. Down here? Down there. Okay, so, so and then 
the building sat empty for a number of years until the library um, bought the lot and then started building the library, which is there now. So. I don't think during that you mentioned about the, the, the space, the buildings catching on fire. I was trying to think. The first fire, I think, was in the 53 or thereabouts, um, was in the summer. I remember that we were baling hay and someone came and we could see the smoke because our farm was just on out prospect. We could see the smoke. Someone came and said the school was on fire. And us being kids thought, cool. Oh, no. <laughs> so um, the next time that it burned was after it was sitting empty. And so that would have been late 80s then that it burned again. And I think that was when they decided that it would not be possible to refurbish it and use it so, so. um so so that so then they raised the the, the buildings there yeah they the building was just a shell after the fire and they did knock things in it took a while to clean it up the school board had um unwisely let the insurance go on that and so there was a major expense involved in cleaning it up um, and uh, there was a bit of an attempt to create some level land there and it sat vacant for uh, several years um, there were plans to try to build uh, senior housing there uh, those plans fell through the library board I had approached the school board about purchasing the site because it was an ideal location. Uh, we had talked about how many libraries were right on Main mm -hmm. Street. It's the perfect location for a public library. Uh, and it was about the right size mm -hmm. for the library that Pewaukee needed. Uh, so we approached, the library board approached the school board about buying it and were offered um, an opportunity to purchase it um, as long there were conditions the school board put on it it had to be used as a, as a building site for a public library and it had to be completed within five years and the library board struggled mightily to uh, make sure that we were able to meet that time frame mm -hmm. uh, construction on the new library was begun in September of 2004 I'll go back construction on the new library was begun in September of 2004 uh, with the assurance that the building could be completed in 11 months uh, we had guaranteed the county that we would complete the building and have it open uh, in September, you know, first of September of 2005, uh, when we moved the contents of the old library into the new library, we had to work around the uh, crew that was assembling the shelving 
Uh, in August of 2005, uh, scouts and many, many volunteers uh, physically took the books from the old library to the new library, uh, and uh, just a slew of volunteers helped to arrange them somewhat properly uh, on the shelves. Uh, and at the same time, we had uh, 25,000 new volumes that we had purchased um, so that we would meet the standards for a public library uh, as required in Waukesha County uh, when we opened the door. And we were able to open the door within just a few days uh, in September of when we were uh, scheduled to do so. So it was an amazing uh, construction feat that it got done uh, on time and at budget. That is really cool. Uh, some of the difficulties, um, because we had pledged to keep within budget, uh, some of the um, things that were planned had to be cut. Uh, and so there's only one fireplace instead of a fireplace on each level. And um, we pushed as hard as we could to build 30,000 square feet. Uh, the old library was 2,900 square feet. <laughs> and when we got the final building built, it was about 27,500. So we came about 10% short of what we really felt the community needed uh, at that time. Uh, and we're talking 10 years later, and so it doesn't surprise me that we're bursting the seams. but. Uh, we came we came that close to building the library that we needed, and it was nine times the size of the former library. That's cool. Um, so, are you guys still involved with the library, or? I'm still um, president of the Friends of the Library, which was a group that was formed in 1994. And we um, help raise funds for different projects. Um, a lot of the children's programs are paid for by what we raise with the book sales. Oh, okay. So that's uh, where a lot of that money goes. Um, we also do... Well, we have programs. We fund the programs for... The children and some of the family programs. We also um, do some of the um, activities. We have the um, chalk drawing contest each year, which is based on what the summer reading program uh, theme has been. Um, we do the trick or treat walk on the on the beach. We always are there handing out things to kids so that they will realize we've got a library here to be using. <laughs> so that's um, pretty much what friends do. So That's a lot of really good information. Exit the school campus using Lake Street and go to the bottom of the hill until you reach the Pewaukee Public Library. Enter the library if you desire. Okay. Okay, I'm Kathy Sampson, and I am currently the president of the Friends of the Library, 
which is a group that has been formed in, it was formed in 1994 to help with um, publicizing the library and funding some of the programs. So the main way that we raise money now is, um, besides charging dues to the members, we have two book sales each year and um, we raise, you know, probably about $3,000 on a book sale. And that money then is available for equipment, um, programming, things that the library needs that they don't have to take money out of their budget then for, because we can pick those things up. Um, there are about 93,000 books in the <laughs> library now. So that's uh, grown a little bit since it was in the uh, upstairs of the fire station. The, um, I, the most expensive books are some of the sets of reference books, and those may be like $500 for a set of reference books, and that would be like um, encyclopedias, things like that, but very specialized ones. So we figure that um, there is a thing that counts how many people come to the library, and in 2015 we figure there was just over 177,000 people coming to the library, and of course that can be the same people coming more than once, but that's how many times the counter has clicked. So That's um, a lot of library visits. Yes, that is yeah. a lot of visits. We're, we're a well-read community. So, there are, well, and when you figure 177,000 people coming or visits to the library, there are about 23 staff members, and um, that's counting full and part-time people who work there. There are also several volunteers who put in some time, too, and so that's how come uh, the library works so well. Another group that is very supportive of the library is the Library Foundation, and that was formed in 1999, and that group also raises um, funds for different things in the library. Um, probably goes more for, um, you know, people to leave money in their will or to chunk down a big bunch of money. So, I guess, is that the, the Friends raises the small money, the Foundation tries to raise the big money, uh, and it was formed in anticipation of the library building project. Uh, that's why it started in uh, January of 1999, uh, and they worked for a good, a solid five years to obtain uh, gifts um, and uh, some funding to initiate the construction of the new library. 
but it was really the cooperation between the town of Pewaukee and the village of Pewaukee uh, to create a joint library district. Uh, and the operating agreement between the, uh, it has become, I guess the town has become the city, uh, but the operating agreement between the, the city and the village uh, was what uh, allowed us to move forward with the construction of the new library. One million dollars was given by the city for the express purpose of buying new books so that we could meet the standards. Those books were selected by the library staff over a period of about six months and were processed from the book jobber in Pennsylvania and put into cardboard boxes uh, for later shipment to the Pewaukee Library in approximate hundreds of sections of the Dewey Decimal System so that when we unboxed them at the new library, we didn't have to traverse the whole distance of the library in order to put them on a, an appropriate shelf. So um, you know, that was a, a major uh, undertaking and it did allow us then to meet the per capita standards of number of books that we had because we had to meet the standards for the population of both the village and the city. So we went from a library serving about 5,000 to a library serving over 20,000. Uh, and the million dollars for materials was significant uh, in being able to do that. The other pledge was a total of $4 million construction money for uh, actually um, for the construction of the building, uh, and that was done uh, in... The first library in Pewaukee was in the home of Deacon Bell, and if you are going down Main Street and you see the big yellow house just past where the, the library is now, there was a small cottage next to that, and that was where Deacon Bell lived, and he had a little library that um, people could borrow books from. And then, and that was in 1855. So mm -hmm. libraries have been here for a long time. Then the um, next library was in the 1880s and that was um, in the Culver home and that was a little further down Main Street. So, and in 1904, the American Legion Hall site, also on Main Street, was the home of the library. So, the library has been a big part of Pewaukee for a long time. In 1917, the village library was moved to the top floor of the fire station on Oakton Avenue and I remember that was a long walk up there because it was there for a long time so in um, a walk from where hmm? a walk from where from the school and where was the school oh where the library is now okay <laughs>
So, <laughs> so in um, 1958, then in 1958, the village purchased the Methodist Church on Oakton, what is now the Village Hall. And in 1960, they opened the library there in the what had been the Methodist Church. And in 1961, they changed the name to the Barbara Sanborn Library because Barbara Sanborn had been instrumental in all of these years of getting a library, getting a nice library built. And so it was named for Barbara Sanborn. In, and it was there until September of 2005 when the new library was built at the corner of Maine and Prospect. Our next speaker is which Penny Williams. The, which was where the, um, well, originally it had been junior or grade school and high school. Then it had um, kind of outgrown the building and they had built another building next to the building that was there. And that was um, one building had the elementary school. To get to the Asa Clark House Museum, continue down the sidewalk on Prospect Avenue and turn right on Wisconsin Avenue to see a yellow building. You have now reached the Asa Clark House. Please enter to learn more about the history of Pewaukee. Our next speaker is Penny Williams. He came originally in 1836 just to see the lay of the land. And of course, it was all Indians at that time. The Potawatomis actually lived in this area. The other, the Sacs and the Winnebago's and some of the other Indian tribes would pass through, but the Winnebago's lived here. And he liked the area, and so he went back. He was originally from Ludenburg, Vermont, and he went back to get his family, and he sent his son and two friends, and they, in 1837, they built a log cabin on what is the James Connell farm now and has been for years. And uh, he built the log cabin there. And then when it was done, he and the rest of his family came out here. And he got a government grant to open up and build a dam. Originally, the eastern end of the lake, the part that's in the village, was a swamp. It was not lake. And he built a dam and dammed up the water. Actually, from what I understand, if you fly over the lake, you can see where there was a river, but it's, it's all covered over now. That's why this end of the lake is so weedy because it's not very deep at all. And um, his, his dam was 
was a log cabin on the south shore of the lake. And then he moved into town, and unfortunately, people didn't realize the historical value. He built a house where uh, Christ Lutheran Church, and it isn't that anymore either, because they moved out. But the church on the corner of Prospect and Main, um, he built a house there and moved his family into the village. And then Mosley, seeing that people were traveling on the Watertown Plank Road, which, by the way, actually is a plank road. They, a uh, couple years ago, the telephone company had to dig, and we could see there are planks in front of my house. They're now about six or seven feet underground, but we could actually see the planks that were in the road. What are planks? Sorry. A, a plank was, well, this was very heavily wooded, and planks were boards. And they were probably, they, they were cut the, from top to bottom, although the, the trees were felled by that time. So they were just cut horizontally, and they were probably two inches thick. And they were made of tamarack trees, which stand... To get to the old stony, or the Ed Schumann house, continue east or take a right on Wisconsin Ave, and then take a left on Clark Street. Continue down Clark Street until you reach house number 209 Clark Street. This is on the corner of Hickory Street and Clark Street. You have now reached the... So now let's move on to the old stony house. Um, and what was the old stony house used for, and why was it built all out of stone? Well, it was built out of stone. The man who built it, Charles Schumann, was an immigrant. He came from Germany. And um, the reason it's all out of stone is because it was built, Pewaukee had a, li a lot of limestone. And so it was all a native stone. It was cheap for him to get. He didn't have to buy bricks or import wood or anything like that. He just used the stone that was here. And actually, um, Pewaukee was known for its limestone. They, um, they had uh, lime kilns where they built bricks or made bricks. And actually, after the Great Chicago Fire in 1871, many, many, many of the bricks that were used in the buildings in Chicago came from Pewaukee because they were they were made in, in Pewaukee. Pewaukee. Wow. Once done, to get to the Pewaukee Village Park, continue down Clark Street and take a right using the crosswalks over the railroad tracks. Then take a left on Oakton Avenue. Please use the sidewalks until you reach the Pewaukee Village Park. My name is Sharon Streeter and I'm a volunteer at the Pewaukee Historical Society. I did a little, re a, a little research for Cliff Muhlenberg for the, uh, what becomes the Kiwanis Village Park. 
and I gave him a little history from the Waukesha Freeman newspaper gossip columns. The a committee was appointed to secure five acres of land from Frank Aiken for park purposes in 1910. But not much came of it until 18, when the old quarry grounds north of the railroad tracks will be turned into a baseball park, the first game of the season to be played there in two weeks. And then it says the Pewaukee White Sox were defeated by the Neshota team by a score of 6-10. to 10. Later on, in 1915, the village agreed to purchase seven. Do he reports about um, consideration of purchasing the Aiken Grove, consisting of four acres, at $1,000 to be used in 1915? Uh, they agreed to purchase seven acres of land in Aikens Grove for $1,500. In November of 1915, a park commission was created that consisted of Ely Anderson, Charles Beers, Dan Flanagan, Charles Kazank, and Dr. Welton. In November, also, they had a park day, and 60 men showed up to work on the, the new parkland. They worked at leveling, and refreshments were served, and all seemed to enjoy the invitation. Your Pewaukee historical tour has now ended. Please proceed west or take a left on Oakton Avenue until you reach the parking lot at the corner of Capitol and High Street to get to your car. Have a nice day.